Are you looking for truth from God's word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. In the etymology of the word flattery, it's, it's, it's talking about a dog who wags his tail. How many of you have a dog? Anybody have a dog that still has a tail? All right, maybe some, some dogs don't have tails. I don't know what that is, but they got a, you got a dog. When that dog can come up to you and that, that tail is just a going like this, doesn't that make you feel so good? That's a way to kind of flatter you. Aren't you such a good person? Now, if you have a dog that that dog wags his tail, the next time he does this, now this is cruel, take this off the tape. Go to the dog and simply say this. You're the ugliest mutt. You bunch of dog breath little thing you. And you know what that dog will do? (laughs) You know what that dog is doing to you? He's flattering you. He's making you feel that it's okay to call him that stupid name and be a jerk to that dog. And he just keeps on doing that. Well, let me reverse that. We can flatter other people the same way. Now, you might say, well, aren't we supposed to affirm someone and compliment them? Frankly, I think we do that too little. I think we ought to affirm more and compliment more. But I think at the same time, we end up flattering people, and that's also a form of manipulation. Here's why flattery can be dangerous. Flattery is dangerous because sometimes by you flattering that other person, that other person will think they're doing so well, and they get stuck on that rung of the ladder of their growth. Sometimes you've got to quit wagging your tail, and I don't mean you've got to growl at them. But you've got to get their attention in love to help them go to the next level. So flattery can be very, very dangerous. Now let me take it a step the other way. Parents, you might say, well, what's the difference between flattering my kids and, and complimenting them? I'll suggest one. You think it through and see if you want to take it further. One way you could do that is this. The things that the children cannot control, then be very careful about not overloading them with flattery and compliments. If your kid is smart, I wouldn't say, you're the smartest kid in school. If your daughter is beautiful, don't merely say, you're such a beautiful daughter. Now, there's nothing wrong with those things. That's really nice, but they're really shallow. And as a kid gets older, then they're going to see all that as surfacey stuff. What you can compliment on that which they can control. Son, I noticed you got a good grade here, but you know what I'm really proud of? You spent the time studying. You turned off the television, you walked away from the computer, and you did your work. And I want to commend you on that. Daughter, you picked out a beautiful outfit that's modest, and I'm sure the Lord is smiling on the choice that you made right here that really accentuates you as the person that God made you to be. Now, however you say that in a language that your child will know that it's sincere from you because you don't want to speak air, you don't want to be manipulative, if that's real, those things are compliments, and that's not flattery. So we need to be very careful of flattery because that really doesn't help the other person. Your ministry won't go to the next level. Here's the fifth one, and this one here has the idea of masks in it. It says here, for neither at any time did we use a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Now, if you don't mind, instead of me spending so much time talking about covetousness, because it's talking about a leader who will manipulate the crowd because he's greedy. He's greedy of power, prestige, money, all of that. In this context, it'd be greedy. Now, obviously, I would hope that any relationship you get into, any ministry you decide to lead or serve, that you would not do it because you want to get paid, you want to get a promotion, you want to get a bonus. You're not doing it so that it becomes about you getting something out of them. That's called covetousness. Now, that's enough being said. What I'd rather talk about is the concept of a cloak. 
because a lot of us struggle more with cloaks in relationship than we do sometimes the, the greed factor. And I don't want to, I'm not saying you're not greedy. We all struggle with that. I think that's one of the three key big iniquities, greed, moral impurity, and bitterness. But that's another sermon. Let me go back to the cloak now. Cloak is another word that we would use the word mask. If you watch uh, in movies in Hollywood, they'll have a mask on. And different masks will represent, it's almost like hypocrisy, and you wear the mask. How you are on the outside, or uh, that mask shows you out here. You could be frowning, sticking your tongue out at the other person, but your mask shows that other person only what they can see and what you choose to let them see. The real you is underneath that mask. So basically it's saying here not to use a mask of any kind, in this case, of greed. I've selected four quick masks for you and I to look at because these are the ones that we as Christians struggle with and why when people get to know us more deeply, we don't have a relationship and then our life and ministry will not last. Here's the first one. We call it the joy mask. Uh, that's up on the screen, but I might like to change that and call it the smiley mask. And you know what the smiley mask is? The smiley mask is that all hell broke loose all week long and all hell broke loose in the morning as you're on your way to church and you had an argument, you get in the parking lot and everybody says, put on your Sunday, put on your Sunday smile. Okay, we're at church now, put your church smile on. And we do that because we want to project that everything is doing okay, everything is fine, that this is the way we should be. Well, I am certainly not advocating that you had a crummy week and now you come to church and you act crummy, look crummy and you're growling at everybody because you got to be real. I am really upset. I'm really having a bad week. I'm not talking about that either. What I'm talking about is don't park out front here. Park way over here in the corner. And between you and the Lord, get that junk out so that you can put on an authentic face, not a smiley face. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand how many of you put on a smiley face when you didn't feel so smiley, okay? We all have, and so have I. Here's the second mask. That's what I call the suffering mask. The suffering mask are those that want everybody to feel sorry for them. There are people in the group, you ask them how you're doing, and they're going to tell you about every ache and pain, all the doctors they've gone to. The world is, is just treating them so badly. I call it the victim mask. They're the ones that you almost don't want to go up to them. Because you want to say how you're doing, and you do want to hear a paragraph of it, and you do really care, but that person gives you, you know, a multi-volume set, and everything is going bad. I'll never forget the time, not in this church, praise the Lord, but in another church, I had a worship leader, a worship leader, and worship is usually praise and thanksgiving and fullness of joy and how good God is. Every Sunday, how you doing? He'd go like this, don't ask, so how's it going? Well, I'm here, you know, and I'm thinking, ay yeah, 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 you know, that's called a suffering mask. Now, it's true, maybe he had a bad day and he's being authentic. Maybe she had a tough week and things are a struggle for him. But again, get in your car, get the fullness of the Lord, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and all that, so you can now speak to the suffering. The people who walk around with a suffering mask also... Things that you do won't last because what you're trying to do is to suck sympathy from others to yourself and it becomes all about you again and not about them. Here's the uh, third mask. I call it I've got it all figured out mask. This is the mask that uh, they can be talking about any deep truths of the Bible and you already know the answer to it. You got it all figured out. You know people like that too. We call them know-it-alls. The fourth mask is I never have any doubt mask. You know, you never worry about it. Never have any doubts. I think sometimes you that are mature in the faith, older Christians, and I'm going to speak to that little band of brothers that maybe would be a little bit more like me, 
and again, I'm not setting myself up, this is what I'm about to say. Sure, the longer you're walking with God, the more hours you spend in the Bible purposely learning this thing, and you're around Christianity, you're around good teaching and preaching, you will know more, and we should know more. But there's this threshold that sometimes we unconsciously step over, where that now we don't know more, we really know it all. And we, we, we project that we never have any doubts. I'm going to tell you that that happened to me, and sometimes I wrestle with it too. But the biggest time that it causes me to come back to reality is, there's a couple of times in my life when the doctor said, we have to run more tests, I'm concerned that this thing may be more serious. Or you have a lump here, we've got to take it out, and, and I've had that. Okay, now I'm not, I'm not, that's not a suffering mask, it's what's happened. But I do remember going and being alone with Carol, and after I carried all of this, you really start thinking, you know, I could die. I wonder if everything that I preached is still true. I wonder if the so-and-so could be right. Do you know that if you have those thoughts, that that's not necessarily wrong? Sometimes it's an opportunity for you to be objective for just a moment and say, is what I really believe and teach and want others to, to believe and teach to others, is it really true? It's a good time for you not to then wallow around in this thing. It's a good time for you to say, I have a doubt, but I know that a doubt means the presence of anxiety and the absence of faith. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to get back into the Word. And supernaturally, this is not a game for those of you that are on the other side of salvation. It's not a game we do. We just know that God chooses to talk to us supernaturally through this book right here. So admit when you have a doubt, but now use that as a stepping stone into the Word right here to become strong. That's a mask sometimes. We project that we never have any doubts. Everything is okay. Everything is fine. You'll never build a disciple when you wear any kind of a mask. So be honest with them. Here's the sixth one, and this will go quickly, but this one I think is uh, one that could be very, um, like I said, lethal and intoxicating. It's called Seeking the Praise from Men. The final motivation is probably the most dangerous of all. Would you read those words from Scripture on number six with me out loud, everyone? Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. Now, who doesn't like people to praise them? Now, you're wearing a mask if you say, nope, I don't need the praise of man. You're wearing a mask. We all like to have the praise of other people. That's a natural thing that we like to have. But let me caution you with something. Listen carefully. The moment we really begin to like the praise of men, the flesh can easily take over where we now move it to. We need the praise of man. Did you catch that? The little bit of I like that, it's like licking the lollipop. Needing it is like that's the only thing I want to eat the rest of my life are lollipops. And you know that's lethal. Now the problem with that is, now take it a step further. The moment I move from liking praise and needing praise, that now what I begin to do is orchestrate my life so that I can get praise. And now those people in my life are going to hold me bondage based on the way they talk about me or to me and how they treat me. Because now it's all about trying to dance to their song. It's all about me trying to respond to what will make them happy so that they will like me. And that has ruined more relationships, more ministries, more jobs, more families when we are so hungry for the praise of people. And he said here, nor did we seek glory for man. Now, that doesn't mean he didn't get a little bit of glory. Underline the word seek. 
you're going to have people compliment you. You sing a beautiful song. You play the piano real well. You preach a good message. You serve here in a ministry. People are going to say thank you and I'll appreciate you and do things for you. That's great. And don't turn it down and don't say, oh, no, that's false spirituality. You receive it with thanksgiving and you give praise to the Lord and you say how kind that person is. The problem is, is when you go after that and if you don't get it, it ruins your day. Or you quit the church, or you quit the ministry, or you quit the marriage, or you quit the relationship, or you quit parenting, or you run away from home, whatever it might be. Because you didn't get all the praise that you need to do. So be careful of that. It's very intoxicating. And besides all that, it becomes very addictive. And it can hinder our relationship. And our ministry won't be what it should be. Well, we only have three here. What does last? These three are paramount. And so if you work some on the six and ask God to take that out of your life, then you exchange your life for his life. And then you take these three and put them into your life. Here's what does last. Courage lasts. As you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Courage is what really lasts. Now, folks, if you want to know what lasts, watch what I'm going to say here. I'm going to give you two compartments. Listen carefully. Courage is saying not, I'll do what's right when everything is easy. I won't have any conflict. They'll appreciate me at the very worst. They'll tolerate me. Then I'm going to do something for the Lord. That is probably the babyest Christian's response because at least you're doing something. But on the other hand, he says, I spoke about God in the midst of conflict. The difference between those that are young Christians and those who are maturing Christians are saying, I'm choosing to speak for God even when it doesn't please people, even to the point that it'll bring conflict because I'm choosing to live and to speak that which is right all about God. Now, my question is, is how many of us in this room are embracing that as your value? To start any ministry, really all you need is one dedicated guy, one dedicated gal, and hopefully one dedicated couple. And it can happen. So if you want to know what lasts, it would be those that say courageously, no matter what, Lord, I'm going to speak for you and I'm going to let you take care of the results. Here's the second that'll last. Besides courage, the good news lasts. I love that. The good news will last. It says here, but as we have been approved of, by God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tries our hearts, good news of the gospel will last forever. Let me speak to a moment here about trust and what it is. Here am I. I'm, I'm outside the faith. I'm now hearing that good works don't get me to heaven. I'm hearing that there's nothing I can do. I'm hearing that I have to place my faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, I have to believe that Jesus Christ is God. I need to believe that Jesus Christ died and he rose again. I can't deny that truth. I need to believe that going to heaven is by placing my faith in him and then I'll receive eternal life. So here's what's happening. I am taking my little bit of faith and I'm trusting, I'm entrusting my faith, the little faith that I have in God. And I'm saying, Lord, here's my faith. This is all I got, but I'm giving it to you now. And so now I'm entrusting God with that faith to do what? Hey, you've given me your little baby faith. That's all I wanted. Now I'm going to forgive you of all sin. You have eternal life. You're in my forever family. You have a relationship with me. So we not just trust in the Lord, we entrust the Lord with the little faith that we have. Now, if you've done that, can you say amen? Now let's see if you'll say it louder. Aren't you glad that when you do, he never breaks that trust? Amen. amen. All right, now that's the truth. Now, similarly, 
in the same word is used there, that I'm trusting in the Lord for that. God is trusting me with the message of the gospel that got all of that. And so God is, in a sense, trusting us. He is entrusting us with that message. Now, that message in this context isn't just so that I got fire insurance. And that message isn't just so that I can become holy. That message there, this context is, so that I will share it with other people. And so isn't that funny how much we count upon God to keep his word that he'll never cast me out of his forever family when I trust in him. But we forget that he is counting on us to give that same message to the people that are around us. So the life that lasts is the one where we're going to be courageous speaking that message. Look at the last one. The third one is the most important, and that is pleasing God is what lasts. Let's go back to that verse. We all know to please God is what lasts. Look at the verse. It says, but as we have been proved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Would you take your pen now and circle in your Bible the word speak? The word speak, and then circle the word pleasing. Find the word pleasing in that verse, verse 4. And then find the second time the word God is mentioned. So you're going to circle the word speak, you're going to circle the word pleasing, and you're going to circle the word God. You got those done? Now that you've done those three, take those three words and read them out loud with me in the order that you circle them. Speak, pleasing, God. Now, remember a moment ago we talked about what is intoxicating and lethal at times is when we seek to please men because they will control us, we'll be in bondage to that whole scheme. This is saying I need to speak pleasing God. So if I step over the line and I move away from looking at other people to please them purely and I choose to speak for God to please Him, guess what happens? There will still be people that I'll never please. But there'll also be other people that will be pleased. But I'm not driven by pleasing them. What's going to last is because I have decided to plant my flag on the hill of pleasing God. Now my question is, is there one of you that's willing to do that? A guy. Whatever age you are, young people. Is there one of you that's a gal, a single in here? Maybe all alone with nobody else to encourage you. But you're willing to do that. Is there a couple that say, whatever everybody else does, that's between them and God. But for us... We, together, are going to build a life that lasts. I pray so. So here's what you should decide. First of all, reevaluate your motives. Brutally honest, be with yourself. Why do I do what I do? Why do I serve in No Fright Kids Night? Why do I teach a Sunday school class? Are you all with me? Do you still love me? Because I'm going to do it another way. Ask yourself this question. Why don't I serve? in some of our events. Why don't I volunteer to clean the bathroom or to pick up paper here in the middle of the week? Why don't I call to serve in the nursery? Why don't I help teach a children's class? Why, why don't I get up here? What's my motive for not doing some things, not just for what I should do? So just reevaluate your motives. I have nobody in mind. I have to ask myself these questions. I got so much and I'm doing so much stuff, I don't have enough time to judge you all. Number two, I need to remove the mask that I wear. I need to be real, folks. And that's hard sometimes because we want to please everybody. We know if, we, if they're happy with us, they might receive what we say. And so it's a, hard, it's, a hard, um, it's a hard game to play. And number three is we need to recognize what does last. What does last? Courage, because it comes from Him. It's not my courage. It's the Spirit's boldness in me. The good news, 
by faith alone and Christ alone that message will never change that will last it's the only truth so I don't have to worry about teaching one thing one month and then having to go back to all those people I taught and changing it because that message never changes it's salvation by faith alone and then finally my commitment to please God and God alone let's pray shall we with every head bowed and every eye closed I don't know about you but I'm not doing real good on this test so far I struggle but at the same time I I can sleep well at night because there are victories along the way as I put this message together it was tremendously convicting for me I saw some areas that I need to really work on that are kind of there are areas in my life where the water is quick to roll. And, um, and I'm working on those. I'm grateful for any victory that the Lord has allowed me to make. But I'm not looking for you to tell me if I'm doing good or not. I'm just committed to pleasing God. And let's do that together as a family. Let's choose to do that. Now, for those of you that are on the other side of salvation, you're, you're still on this journey of discovering who God is and what is Christianity all about. I want you to know I'm so glad you're here today. And you keep coming back because what you're hearing is from God's word to help true believers to live a life in a way that would maybe perhaps cause you to respect them even more. They love you that much. That's why they're here growing and worshiping the Lord. To reach out to touch you, to explain the message. But the bottom line is, we never know when we're going to die. They could die between now and next week, but they're going to heaven because that deal is already settled. You too could die, but you won't go to heaven. You have an intellectual relationship with the Lord more like facts on a page than with the true God. And so what he's saying to you, the Lord is saying to you, I love you and I'm giving you this time to hear these messages. But at the same time, he says... Now is the day for you to trust Christ. So do not keep thinking, the more I learn, and when I finally get over that threshold, then I'll believe. Since you cannot control your own death, or the timing of it, then please, I plead with you, please realize that you're a sinner. We all have done that. We still are. Realize that because you're a sinner, you're separated from him already, but he doesn't want you to be separated here or in the future. Realize that you have to be so perfect to go to heaven. You've got to be as perfect as God, and you can't be. Neither could we be. It's not us and you. It's we're here. We want you to be a part of this forever family, not join a church, but a relationship with Christ. So Jesus said, I'll do the work for you. I'll go to the cross. I'll suffer the affliction. I'll die there. I'll rise again. I'll give you eternal life. I'll forgive you now and forever for every single sin, big or little, you have. I've done everything for you. So now all he asks is for you to take the tiniest bit of your faith, but only your faith, and place it in Jesus Christ. Is there anyone in here today that's willing to humbly Trust Christ as your Savior and say, Lord, it's all you now, not me. I'd like to pray for you. Now, when I pray for you, me praying for you won't get you into heaven. Standing up, coming forward, raising a hand, doing anything won't get you to heaven. But if today, in your heart, in some manner, you called upon the Lord and you said, Lord, I trust you. I'm entrusting my faith in you that you will save me and give me eternal life forever. If you're doing that with every head bowed and every eye closed and you'd like for me to pray for you, would you slip up your hand? Is there anyone at all that's today trusting Christ? Is there anyone at all? 
Christians, how many of you did God speak to you today on a life that will last in the areas of motives, the right ones and the wrong ones? And by God's grace and power, you're going to do business with those areas just like I am. And you'd like for me to pray for you. Would you slip up your hand today? Is there anyone that's saying, I'm going to do this? I'm going to reevaluate my motives. I'm going to remove the mask that I wear. I'm going to recognize what does last. Would you slip up your hand real high so I can see it, so I can pray for you? God bless you. God bless you. Father, I pray for those who did or even those who didn't raise their hand that all of us would realize that this message is from your word and all of us are going to have to give an account of what we do with what we've heard at that same judgment seat. And I thank you that it's not to determine whether or not I go to heaven, but that, Father, that I'll continue to receive the grace of of these rewards that you want us to have. Now, Father, help us to be a church that when people from the outside come in, that they will see that our motives are pure, our masks are gone, and we seek to only please the Lord. And by pleasing you, we'll serve the others the best. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Joe Pons, and I want to thank you for listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Clarity Christian College. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It's the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. That's makeitclear.org. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please email us at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. That's tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.